It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And speaking of Ottawa, we're going to be going to our Ottawa correspondent and journalist, Caroline O'Neill, shortly. But just to let you know, you can also listen on the Radio Player Canada app if you download that app. And type in 95.7 ELMNTFM or 106.5 ELMNTFM. You can listen on your device of choice anywhere across the country, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Super Tuesday is one of the most important days of any Democratic looking to become America's next president. Last night, both made and broke campaigns, setting the stage for this summer's convention. Our Ottawa journalist, Caroline O'Neill, spoke with the Hollywood reporter's Frank Sheck, They chatted about the wins and losses coming out of last night and what this means for the Democratic Party on the path to the general election. Let's give it a listen. Last night was arguably one of the biggest nights in the Democratic presidential candidate race, and it came down to 14 states in the American Samoa, and Joe Biden came out on top. So, Frank, let's start here. You know, what I think it reaffirms is that nobody has known exactly what the hell was going to happen any step of the way. The pundits keep making predictions and keep getting proven wrong. Biden surprised everyone. He had a tremendous comeback. It was one of the most dramatic comebacks in political history. That is definitely quite the statement. And you're saying this, and he entered last night in a pretty vulnerable position. You know, he, especially when it came to money and ads. So what do you think it was that really brought people to Biden at the end of the day? Well, I think it was a combination of a few things. First of all, he wasn't quite as vulnerable going in yesterday because of South Carolina, which was a huge boost to his campaign. You know, success tends to breed success. When people had the perception that he was a loser, that it wasn't going to go anywhere, his debate performances up until very recently were uninspired, you know, they just did not have a lot of excitement. But then he kind of came to life in the last debate. Then he had this tremendous boost in South Carolina, helped in no small part by the endorsement of the most important politician there. And it proved Biden's contention that when African Americans were put into the mix, who are a major component of Democratic voters, <laughs> that it would be more reflective of reality, and it was. I mean, you know, the the idea that we keep holding the first primaries in places like Iowa and New Hampshire, or caucuses, are is ridiculous. And I think uh, this election has shown that more dramatically than ever. Now, when it does come to the African-American vote, you have heard plenty of women of color coming out, especially in support of someone like Elizabeth Warren. And also, young voters of color are really supposed to be the heart of Bernie Sanders' movement. But as you said, it was Joe Biden that won the day. So what do you think happened? Well, first of all, one of the main contentions of Sanders' campaign is that he's going to bring out this wave of younger voters who've never voted before. They're going to come out in droves. And the reality is they didn't. Um, That hasn't happened at all yet. The reliable voters are older voters, including older African Americans, and they came out in force for Biden. And I think it, you know, I think it's indicative of the fact that the Democratic Party is largely centrist and not as liberal as Sanders makes it out to be. 
it's a very, very vocal part of the party, but not the dominant part of the party. Now, with that specific contingent who you said doesn't always make it to the polls, if they haven't made it to the polls now, are they going to? Like everything else, that remains to be seen. Uh, you know, there are primaries coming up in western states where uh, Bernie seems to have a lot of strength. There are also primaries coming up in southern states where uh, Biden has a lot of strength. So, you know, it, it's by no means over. It's still very much a contest. But um, clearly Biden has, in the course of the last 72 hours, elevated himself to the role of frontrunner for the first time in a long time. When he started out, he was the frontrunner, and now he is again. Now, you know, you're saying that this is still very much a contest. And when it comes to one of those contestants, Bernie Sanders, you highlighted one of his perhaps largest weaknesses at the end of the day, which is that he isn't a member of the Democratic Party. So moving forward, what do you think he has to do to mobilize that base? You know, that's a good question. The Democrats are doing what the Republicans didn't do four years ago when Trump hijacked their party. I mean, Trump wasn't really a Republican, but yet he kind of came in and took it over. Bernie is not really a Democrat, but he's come in and tried to take it over. And in this case, you know, the fact that um, Buttigieg and um, Klobuchar backed out before Super Tuesday and threw their support enthusiastically behind Biden, as, as well as Beto, indicated how much the party is willing to consolidate around Biden and make sure <laughs> that they have a moderate candidate as, as, as their candidate. I mean, you know, the Democratic establishment is terrified of Bernie becoming the candidate. And, you know, it, there, it's, it could be argued that they're wrong about that. Maybe, maybe Bernie can whip up the kind of frenzy that uh, Trump did, but that's still a big question mark. And it was interesting that the market jumped up 500 points today, pretty much based on Biden's victory. Because God knows there's not a lot else to cheer up about it. Now, one of the things I think that is worth noting is that we're still waiting on the returns from Maine and California. How much do you think this could, if at all, change the tides? Well, it looks like Bernie is going to win California. But but Biden had a strong enough showing there that he'll get a percentage of the delegates. Uh, Maine, you know, Maine traditionally takes a long time to uh, report but um, when we look at the, actually at the moment, Biden is ahead of Sanders in Maine with 73% uh, of precincts reporting. So that's still very competitive. Now, you talked a little bit about the fact that there is kind of this fear in the Democratic Party when it does come to Bernie Sanders and some of his ideologies. Do you think the Democratic Party can be this big umbrella party that they seem to say they are? Or do you think at the end of the day, they kind of have to stick to what it is that they were doing before Sanders kind of grew such prominence? Well, they stopped being the big, um, big umbrella party quite a while ago. I mean, they lost a lot of the people under that umbrella to the Republicans because of identity politics and a whole number of other factors. I think what they really have going for them is 
Trump fatigue and the resistance against him in among suburban voters, women voters. You know, I, I think Biden can sell himself on the idea of a return to normalcy, which is what he's basically promising. That, you know, if he becomes president, it'll all be kumbaya. Everybody will get along. It'll be back to the old days when we all work together. Yeah, I think that ship has sailed. Well, and in many ways, if it is looking and it is looking more and more like this is a race that is coming down to Sanders and Biden, this does really look like history is repeating itself in 2016. And that didn't work out the way Democrats planned. So where does that leave everyone? Uh, terrified. But you're right. I mean, it is kind of a repeat of uh, Bernie versus Hillary. <laughs> and, you know, there is the argument that picking the safe, predictable candidate could lead us down the same path. Again, nobody knows. Nobody knows how this is going to shake out. And God knows there are so many, I mean, just look at the last couple of weeks, you know, between the virus and, every, and, the, and the collapse of the stock market. There are so many factors yet to come into play. If uh, Trump proves himself incapable of managing the virus situation effectively, that's going to hurt him dramatically. If the economy continues to tank, that's going to hurt him dramatically. So really, it's still all up in the air. Now, when you talk about something like the virus, though, in many ways, could that not bode well for someone like Bernie Sanders, who's really his hallmark is healthcare, right? Would that not is that not his chance to make the case for why he isn't necessarily so kind of radical and why this is something that could work well for the country? Uh, only if you believe that Medicare for all could actually have a chance. He has brought ideas into the argument. Um, that were kind of unthinkable for a long time. Um, but I do think incremental change is something that voters are more comfortable with as opposed to the dramatic change, which, frankly, he would never be able to make happen anyway with the present-day Congress. Or even, even a, you know, a Democratic Senate and House. It, just, it, it, would be, it would be very difficult for that to happen any time in the next decade. And again, when we kind of look at this, Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden comparison with Bernie Sanders now emerging as really the only possible challenger. Is there something that Biden offers that's different from Clinton? Because obviously she didn't resonate with voters in the way that the Democrats hoped she would. Yeah, there is. First of all, a lot of people didn't like Hillary. It wasn't rational in many cases. It was hateful. Um, but there was this whole kind of uh, dark tinge to the Clintons that, for whatever reason, um, just alienates not only Republicans, but a lot of Democratic voters. Nobody really dislikes Biden. What they may dislike is the fact that we're, again, you know, going back to a safe, predictable, old-fashioned candidate. But, you know, it's impossible to work up the kind of animus towards Biden, and I'm talking now about the Republicans, that they could towards Hillary. I mean, even when they try with the Burisma scandal, which I'm sure now they're going to put into overdrive, you know, so far it really hasn't had an effect. Is anyone even still talking about Bernie inappropriately touching women anymore? No. He's just kind of 
safe, avuncular, lovable, sympathetic figure in a way that Hillary, unfortunately, could never quite manage to be. Now, when you look at that idea of the argument of the status quo, things are very different than they were back in 2016, obviously bearing in mind that Joe Biden is a more likable candidate than Hillary Clinton. If it does come down to this idea of the status quo versus a party that can be changed over time, how do you think people will respond? I think there's a lot of people right now who are desperate to, you know, as, as uh, Pete, Mayor Pete used to say, you know, t- turn on their TV and not be terrified by what their president is saying and doing. I think a lot of people, I, I think a lot of people are exhausted. God knows I am. I think, I think people are desperate for some calm. Bernie does not exactly exude calm. That would be trading one form of hyper-intensity for another. Now, you mentioned that he really does have the support of the more vocal wing from the Democratic Party, but there are also people now elected in the party who do share similar values like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So if it does come down to a Biden nomination at the end of the day, where does that leave that wing of the party, especially those who have seats and have been voting and have been participating? I think at this point, the entire party, with the exception of some, you know, some of more uh, Bernie's fringe followers, will come together because they do recognize that the number one priority is to get Donald Trump out of the White House. So even Cortez, who has said she will back whoever the nominee is, I, I think they will basically fall into that line if, if Biden is the candidate. Now, the catchphrase, so to speak, has been blue no matter who. If it's vice versa and if Bernie's the candidate, Sanders is a candidate, do you think there will be a similar, a similar reaction where people will flock to him? The, the, no, not, not necessarily, because a lot of Bernie's followers are so extreme that if he is not the candidate, they would stay home. So, you know, I mean, there's danger on every front. There's not, not to mention the fact that Biden has proved himself so gaff-prone uh, that you know <laughs> any number of mistakes can happen in the next uh, between now and November that could that could really sink him. One of the arguments that I often heard coming out of 2016, Frank, was that if Bernie had suspended his campaign earlier and gotten behind Clinton, his supporters might have eventually made their way over. And we are kind of at that similar point in time. You know, Milwaukee isn't that far off. And then from there, neither is November. Is there a case to be made that Bernie Sanders should be thinking about the idea of suspending and joining Biden now? Well, there's certainly a case to be made for it, but the... That Bernie would get with that program, I find impossible to believe. Um, I'd like to move over to talk about another really interesting candidate, and that is Michael Bloomberg, who had somewhat of a bizarre run and has now recommended his campaign. What are your thoughts on his, his attempts? I don't know. You think he could have ridden that wave of enthusiasm after winning American Samoa? Well, first of all, he already has endorsed Biden. He's already made a statement endorsing Biden. Um, and hopefully he'll continue to spend uh, uh, the fraction of his uh, fortune in advertisements, uh, anti-Trump advertisements. He can't donate directly to um, 
Biden's campaign, of course, but he can spend untold amounts of uh, super PAC money that, that will be anti-Trump. So I, th- I, I think he will still be a force. And, but again, the fact that he's, you know, thrown in the towel, endorsed Biden, is another indication. And God knows, he, Bloomberg really, really wanted to be president. I mean, he really did. Um, the fact that he was willing to see reality and get with the program is a very strong indication of how the Democratic Party is trying to rally around their centrist candidate. And, you know, it was interesting, too, to see that rallying because we saw moderates like Amy Klobuchar and people to judge, which was expected. But Beto O'Rourke is often considered one of the more progressive candidates, and he even he went over to Biden. So what do you think the reasoning was for that? Well, every exactly what I've been saying, that they all see that, you know, even if they were desperate for a more progressive leader, that they have to, have to rally behind the leading choice. And right now, Biden clearly is. Let's move over to somebody who had more of a disappointing night. That would be Elizabeth Warren, who even lost out on her own home state. What's her path from here? I think she's probably discussing that with her people right now. Um, It really doesn't seem like she has one. I think she was kind of hanging in, waiting to see what would happen. And also she's thinking about the possibility of a brokered convention, which seems a lot less likely now than it did before. It does not seem that she has any viable path. So it wouldn't shock me if we got an announcement from her, if not today or tomorrow, sometime soon, because, you know, really, this, this, has, to, this has to get narrowed down even further. I mean, the nightmare scenario was that this went to a broker convention and we still didn't have a candidate until July. That, that would have been horrendous. And, you know, you could see how Trump was trying to put his thumb on the scales by uh, stoking up divisions among the Democrats and, you know, putting, <laughs> making Bernie the victim and all that. What makes a brokered convention such a nightmare scenario? Because we need to start running against Trump. And when I say we, I mean Democrats. They need to start running against Trump instead of each other. Now, for Warren, she really did start off in what seemed like an arguably strong position, especially with her plans and her policy. And even in some of the previous debates, she did seem to be making a case for herself. What do you think went wrong for her? You know, it's hard to say. I I was shocked by her dramatic rise, which, you know, I couldn't quite figure out an explanation for. Um, she does did take a lot of selfies. Uh, and I was shocked by the dramatic decline. Um, there doesn't seem to have been a real reason for these trajectories, except that Sanders seems to have more passionate followers among the progressives. A lot of them thought that Warren was watering down her positions to appeal to more moderates. But she found herself in a kind of untenable and uncomfortable position. And, you know, attacking Bloomberg for sexist comments only only went so far. Now, one of the things that I heard a lot in 2016 was that people did want a female president, just not Hillary Clinton. And the name that often came up was Elizabeth Warren. Do you think that the politics of gender factored in at all to where she is today? 
I do. I do. I, I still think a woman faces a much harder path. Um, just ask Kamala Harris, just ask Amy Klobuchar, Kristen Gillibrand. Um, it will happen. I think if Biden is smart, he will tap a woman to be his vice presidential uh, running mate. Um, but unfortunately, it you know that feeling is going to have to wait a while to be crashed. Bringing up that idea of running mates, let's say that it does come down to Sanders and Biden at the bitter end there. Who do you think are some potential running mates and who do you think would be some strong running mates? I think if Biden was smart, he would pick either Harris or Stacey Abrams or Klobuchar, all of whom have their strengths. Um, Sanders, frankly, <laughs> he's such an out-there politician. I, I, I don't know who he would pick for vice president. Um, uh, you know, he, he's so unique that way. I, I, I just, and, and the interesting thing is there's been no talk about it. I mean, no one seems to know who he would tap for VP. Presumably it would be someone younger who hasn't heart, had a heart attack in the last 20 years. That is something that has also factored quite a bit, and I think that's one of the reasons why Pete Buttigieg was able to do so well, but it definitely seems like age is something that has come up quite a bit. But as you wrote in one of your columns, too, age also does reflect experience, and you are looking for an experienced politician to take this job. Well, it is interesting that, you know, all of these candidates are in their 70s. Trump Trump is now the youngest uh, of the major candidates, which is astonishing, at age 74. And recently he attacked Biden for his mental lapses and saying that if he becomes president, you know, he'll be watching TV and others will be running the country. And talk about the pot calling the kettle black. Yeah, there's definitely some fun irony there. But when you mentioned the fact that, again, Sanders really does kind of have that youth mobilization, but they don't vote. Do you think that there is this age discrepancy that's creating a disconnect for the Democrats? Possibly, possibly. You know, Buttigieg kept making the argument that uh, Democrats win when they've gone with safe, when, when they've gone with unpredictable younger candidates rather than older established candidates. He may still be right about that. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I think people are craving experience and wisdom. Based on where everything is right now, what position do you think the Democrats are in heading into November? And do you think there is a candidate who can overcome Trump at this point? You know, again, there are so many variables. And Biden, for all his strengths, and and I, from the very beginning, I thought Biden had the best chance to defeat Donald Trump. Uh, but then his performance as a candidate continually unnerved me. <laughs> and yes, he's certainly appearing stronger now, but uh, there's a long way between now and November. And he's a very vulnerable candidate on a number of fronts. So Democrats are not feeling secure no matter what. But if the entire party can rally behind Biden early enough, I think that would greatly help in terms of defeating Trump. But again, there are so many outside factors, most notably the economy. I mean, if the economy 
recovers from its current malaise and continues to be as strong as it's been, that seems to be the number one determining factor for how people vote. If, if unemployment is low and their retirement account, people who have retirement accounts are doing well, they're going to go with the status quo. You know, they're going to overlook the tweeting and the craziness and all that stuff. They're going to just say, hey, the economy's working. The interesting thing now is the virus is showing that, you know, being president, you only have so much power over the economy. People don't seem to realize that. They think if an economy is good, the president should get all the credit. Or if it's bad, the president should get all the blame. And that's been working for Trump so far, and it's, it demonstrates why he is so desperate to prop up the stock market. He seems more intent on the stock market than on keeping people safe from the virus. Um, and that's the reason why, because he knows if the market tanks, his chances diminish dramatically. And Frank, you said that we are still on this long road to November. What are the next things that you're looking to see as we kind of enter into the next phase here? Well, just the next, uh, the next primaries next primaries and we have another debate and it's going to obviously be a much more focused debate now that we don't have you know <laughs> so many candidates on stage um i think i think you know biden versus sanders going head to head will be very telling